This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com. Uh, pull your notes out for today's message if you'd like to do that. And since this is Valentine's Day, I, I just thought I would talk with you for a few minutes today about, about your family, about our families, and how to handle issues within our families because we all have them. I read in, that in one church a few minutes before their service started, some people were, they were kind of sitting around and chatting with one another when suddenly Satan appeared at the front of the church. Well, everyone, they, when they saw him, they started screaming and running for the back of the auditorium to, to, to get away as fast as they could. And within just a few minutes, the whole church was totally empty except for one elderly man who was still seated in his seat. Well, Satan walks up to the old man and he says, don't you know who I am? And he says, yes, I sure do. Aren't you afraid of me? Nope, I sure ain't. Don't you realize I can kill you with a word? Don't doubt it for a minute. Do you know I could cause you profound, horrifying, physical agony for all of eternity? Yep, the old man said. And you're still not afraid of me? Nope. Confused, Satan asked, so why aren't you afraid? The old man calmly said, been married to your sister for over 40 years. <laughs> well, thank God not all families are that bad. But we are human, and whether it's in marriage or any other human relationship, we have to learn to handle conflict. Sometimes you can think you're married to the brother or sister of Satan himself. But if we're going to have strong marriages in 2016 and beyond, we've got to learn how to handle conflict to build strong marriages. As a pastor, I think maybe the number one concern I hear from people has to do with how to keep their family strong, how to keep their family together, how to... How to make their family what God intends their family to be. And that's not easy in a world that does everything it can to, to destroy God's original intention. God's intention for the family is given to us in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 31 through 33. And this is what the scripture says. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, the reason that the family is so tremendously important is because it is an earthly representation of what God intends between himself and his people. It is a way of looking at how God wants to relate to his people. Uh, and we pick that up there in verse 32. Look at it again. It says, it's a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So the family is so sacred and it's so important 
because it's an illustration of God's relation to us. You know, I have tried through the years that, that I have served this church to, to, to make it very clear to all of us that God is not interested in religion. He's not interested in religious rituals or duties. It's not like those things are necessarily wrong. Being a religious person in terms of uh, having a certain sense of, of, uh, of obedience or a certain, certain sense of, of direction to your life, there's not, that's not essentially wrong, but it has to come from the heart. If it's just something you do and it doesn't come from the heart, it, it is ineffective. God is not interested in your religion. He's interested in your heart. But the relationship he intends with us is a love relationship. He doesn't want one of duty. He doesn't want one that's forced. That's why he created this thing called the family. The family is to be an earthly representation of a spiritual reality that's happening between us and God. The, the bonding of a man and a wife are to represent the bonding that takes place between God and his people. The selflessness that is required to maintain a strong marriage represents the self, selfless sacrifice of Jesus Christ that was given on that cross. The commitment that takes place between uh, family members is to represent the community and the commitment that God has between himself and his people, and for that matter, between us and us as God's people. We are to be that heavily committed to one another. And the gift of children, of course, represents the growth of the kingdom of God as new people come in to his kingdom. That's why the family is so sacred, and that's why Satan is attacking the family so much. And I believe the values that have kept the American family strong have also kept the American culture and the American nation strong. And losing those values will have a profound impact upon the future of our nation or any nation. But I understand that for most people, it doesn't go that deep. Most of us we want to simply enjoy peace within our families. We want to enjoy our lives with someone who loves us and someone who strengthens us and completes us. But a lot of people in marriages today, a lot of couples approach their marriage kind of like the players did at the Super Bowl last week. They, they think that if they can just dominate if they can just control the other person, if they, if they can just get their way, much like what the Broncos did to the Panthers last Sunday afternoon, and the game started at 4.30 that afternoon. Much like that very game that happened, and I noticed that Big Jim is not wearing his Panthers uh, uniform or his jersey today. God bless you, Brother Jim. Although I will tell you that he did give me a beautiful Broncos hat. Here, bring that to me, honey. I need to be wearing that. You know, this, this, this may be the last of my lifetime. I don't know. <laughs> Somebody asked me where I got it. Big Jim gave it to me, eating crow over there. God bless you, Jim. <laughs> anyway, 
But much like the, the football player, that was their intention, wasn't it? To dominate the other player, to control the other player, to have their way. That's the way you win a football game. They think, a lot of couples think that's how they win in their marriage, is by dominating, by controlling, by having their way. But a marriage is not a three-hour contest played in 10-yard segments. It's, it's a lifetime, and it's played in segments called days. And if we're going to win at this lifetime event called marriage, we have got to learn how to handle those daily points of conflict, the conflicts that come up, because conflict is a fact of life, and therefore it is a fact of any marriage. I have actually had people who have been married for a season of time tell me that they have never had a fight in their marriage. And I've often wondered, do you ever talk? <laughs> I don't know how that is possible. Anyway, so let's look at how to handle this thing called conflict, handle it better so that our lives can be blessed and prospered of God. Because more than anything, I want your life and your marriage to be blessed and prospered of the Lord. The first thing I want to talk with you about today is the reason that we have conflict in the first place. Why does conflict exist? Why does it happen? Where does it come from? I mean, go back to when you were dating and it was all smiles and you were just loving it. I mean, you opened up the door for her, you know, you, you picked up the check, you know, for her. You just couldn't wait to be around one another. She laughed at all your jokes, whether they were worthy of laughter or not. She, I mean, it, it just, the relationship you guys had together, she would never be seen without her makeup on, you know. You would never be seen without looking buff and strong and powerful and everything. That's the way dating is. Well, what happened? Conflict back then was the farthest thing from your mind. We thought we had found the perfect guy. We thought we had found the perfect gal but for some reason now, it's tension and it's conflict, and for some of us, it's all the time. What has happened? Well, the Bible's very clear about why this takes place in human relationships, including marriage. James chapter 4, verse 1 says, What is causing these quarrels? What's causing these fights among you? Don't they come from evil desires that are at war within you? Evil desires that are warring against you personally have a way of coming out and producing war between you and other people as well. So notice that James says here, there is a war, and that's a good word to use here. There's a war that's going on, and it's a war inside every single one of us, and really, this war is the root of not only any marriage conflict, but it is the root of every international conflict that you see in all of the world. That's how big this one thing is. It starts in the heart of an individual. It starts in the heart of a Hitler. It starts in the heart of a, of a Saddam Hussein. It starts in the heart of a Osama bin Laden. It starts in the heart of terrorists. And it starts in your heart and mine. It's a war for control. And it spills out into our relationships. I want what I want, 
and you want what you want, and the result is conflict. Look at James 4.1 from the Message Translation. Where do you think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. So a lot of us, we think that it's the devil that's doing it. I'm going to tell you how I think this works. And a lot of you could use the old Flip Wilson line, the devil made me do it. But it, that's not really true. The devil is a part of it, but the devil is a great opportunist. And what this verse is telling us is that every one of us have a nature inside of us that wants our own way. And when we start giving into that, guess who shows up? The enemy of our soul, through demonic powers, starts amplifying, if you will, that desire to get your own way. So the devil is involved. It's just not, he's not the only one involved. You are cooperating with the whole thing too. This war is taking place inside of you, deep inside of you, said the scripture. And so you'll notice that James says here, there is a problem and it's a problem that's within us. It's part of our fallen nature. Even though you know Jesus as your savior, even though you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, even though you pray and are diligent, you still have a fallen nature within you. And there's this, there's this, there's this pushback between the spirit of God and the, and the carnal nature within you that's fighting each other for control all the time. We want our own way. We wanted it when we were born, and we still want it. I, you know, I think one of the greatest inventions in my lifetime has been dual heat air condition controls that they are now putting in most vehicles, most cars. I think that will save more marriages than you can know. <laughs> I remember road trips where Carrie would be under three layers of blankets while I had the AC blasting just to keep me cool going down the freeway. Now it's the opposite. I'm driving down the freeway under three layers of blankets while she has the AC blasting on her. But these new, these new controls that they put on cars, I think are gonna help our marriage. I'm, I'm believing that we can make it another 43 years, honey. Yeah, because of dual air, air conditioning heat controls. Sometimes conflict comes over silly things. I mean, I can remember her saying, if she forgot to bring the blanket, do you have to have it this cold? Well, I got to stay awake. You know, but it can come from the silliest things, like how cold you have it in the car, um, uh, how you make the bed. You make it different than I make it. And she asks, of course, I don't really make it, but... Uh, <laughs> Truth be known, I'm not real good at that. Um, I've shared that with you before. Um, you know, and so she comes and she says, why didn't you make the bed? And I said, I did. And she says, you call that maid? You ever heard that, guys? Or maybe it's who takes out the garbage. And small becomes large or becomes big because we're all different and we want it our way. Do you know, and this is the truth, I have known churches that have split over the color of the carpet in the sanctuary, if you can believe that. 
People of God who have gotten so angry over silliest things, the color of the walls, the color of the ceiling, like there's an evil color and a good color, you know? All of these things, are, they, they, they just amplify and they become so big. And the essence of it, we can make it, we can flower it up and make it sound so spiritual. But the reality is, I want it my way, the way I like it. And so we end up in our homes and we end up in our churches sort of like the down markers of, of that football game last Sunday afternoon where the Denver Broncos beat the, the Carolina Panthers 24 to 10. But I digress. We, we end up in our marriages much like those down markers on the football field and we're chained together, but we're yards apart. Yards apart. Conflict. Division. We don't talk to each other. And I'm not just talking about your family. I'm talking about the whole big thing, the big picture. Division, no unity. Now the problem is, we think the issue is the issue. We think the problem has to do with garbage. We think the problem has to do with beds. We think the problem has to do with the color of carpet. But the issue isn't the issue. It's deeper. It's an issue of control, and I want you to think about that. Who is in control? Do I get my way or not? And if I don't, how am I going to respond to that? And once you understand that that is the core of where the conflict comes from, it gives you a much better response, way to respond, understanding what the, the core issue is. Let me take you to point number two, how we respond to conflict. David prayed an important prayer in Psalm 139, verse 23. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. That's a gutsy prayer right there. Now, if we're going to learn how to respond successfully, we have got to confront the truth about what's in our heart. And that takes God's help to reveal it to us. There are probably five ways, maybe more, but the five ways to respond to conflict. Number one, my way. This is, of course, the best. My way, right? That's what you think, my way, but it's not. This is the response of the person who thinks they are 100% right 100% of the time. It's usually a defense mechanism trying to mask or to hide inner insecurities. People who will never admit that they're wrong are extremely insecure on the inside. And so they have to put up defense mechanisms around them to keep anybody from knowing about their faults or failures or their, or their mistakes. And those defense mechanisms, one of the biggest walls that they put up is that they are always right. Um, but some of you, that's how you respond to conflict. They're wrong, I'm right, always. All right, there's some people like that. Number two, no way. This response is from the person who hates confrontation so much that they avoid it at all cost. They always back off and they make any change to avoid conflict. Well, now, nobody likes conflict. Well, I shouldn't say nobody. Maybe there are some people, I don't know. I certainly don't like conflict. I don't want to deal with conflicting situations any more than anybody else does. I don't know anybody who loves it. But some people 
goes so far on that that they will never deal with the issue. The problem is the anger seethes inside of them until eventually, like a volcano, they blow their top. And then what comes out is ugly and harsh and destructive. And I tell you, we, we've had, uh, I've had, I should say, staff members in my church who were just like that. And I, I would talk with them and they were so passive and so, so resistant to deal with issues they needed to deal with. And I would say, you know, I can deal with that for you, but you have got to learn to handle this yourself. And they wouldn't do it until eventually explosion time. And then I have people in my office saying, you got to do something about pastor so-and-so, you know, and, and, the, and the, the core of it was because they had the no way, I am not going to deal with anything until something snaps inside of them and it, and it explodes. Uh, number three, your way. This is the Burger King way. Have it your way, you know. So this person give, always gives in to others because they value approval above principle. They don't stand for anything. Boy, I could talk about this one for a little while especially as it relates to families and, and our culture today. You know, it's, it's one thing to be, to be ugly in your spirit. It's another thing to have a loving spirit and yet still stand for principle. This individual will, will never stand for principle. They always give in to whatever culture likes, whatever culture wants, whatever culture says. Number four, now, um, it, Debbie, is this the one that I messed up? No, it's, it's later. I'll, I'll let you know when I get to the point where I messed up, all right? Uh, it was my fault, and I messed up the notes, so your notes are a little bit off at the end here, but I'll, I'll tell you when that is. Number four, halfway. So this is the resolution through compromise. We'll take half of your idea and half of my idea, and we'll combine them together, and we come up with a compromise. It's kind of a politician's way of doing things. It's probably the only way it will work um, in the political arena. It's better than the other ways that I've shared with you, but it's still not the best. The best one is number five, which is called our way. Instead of just taking half here and, and half there, we bring both of our holes together and we find that there is something new that's being birthed out of the unity of who we are together as a church family, as a, as a uh, nuclear family at home. We, we find that we, we out of that is being birthed something beautiful and maybe even a brand new direction we hadn't even thought of. This happens all the time in our staff meetings where we'll go in to a staff meeting and I'll, I'll lay out something or maybe one of the other pastors will lay out something and through the dialogue of the group or even in board meetings that we have here, in the dialogue of the group, we'll come to a consensus that none of us had thought of originally. But it, it blends together and it becomes a an our way kind of approach, and it's, a, and it's a beautiful thing. It's a united way. And I believe that God wants to help all of us move towards that fifth way of responding to conflict. It's not I have to dominate her, she has to dominate me. It's together God is making something better out of what we both bring to the table. Does that make sense? And something beautiful comes out of that. So, as I finish up today, let me just share with you point number three. It's God's way to resolve conflict. Um, now, you know that conflict produces clashes, yelling, fighting, taunting, pushing, anger, rage, violence can come out of conflict. 
And in all of those, as I said, the goal is domination. In order to get my way, I do this. But for other people, conflict, it's kind of like a courtroom setting where it's point counterpoint. You know, the prosecution rests. <laughs> I've laid out my, my, my position here. But clashes and arguments won't work. None of those will work. We need a new way. We need God's way of dealing with conflict. So I want to suggest to you five steps to resolving conflict. And I know it says four on your notes, but there's going to be a fifth one that I failed to put in there. So we'll, we'll get it straight as we go through. Number one, you got to be a sold-out disciple of Jesus Christ. If you're going to handle conflict right, you've got to be fully committed follower of Jesus Christ. And I'm talking here about letting the Holy Spirit control your life, letting him control your words, not what you feel like saying, but what you need to say. Letting him control your actions, not what you would like to do, but what you need to do. Letting him control your attitudes. I have a right to be angry over this or that situation, and you probably do. That doesn't mean anger is the right response. So when I'm talking about uh, being a sold-out follower of Christ, I'm talking about being an individual that really does allow the Word and the Spirit of God to control, to convict you when you get out of when you when when you're when you get out of sorts when you're not handling it right instead of responding the way you want you know you respond the way you should and and so that only comes from an individual who's not religious but is a fully committed follower of Christ has been changed from the inside out religion will not do that for you only Christ and the spirit of Christ within you will do that for you number 2 you got to talk to God about your conflict. People whose words fly out of their mouth take, I should say, before you let those words fly out of your mouth, take the issue to God. So I once read years ago, and I think this is so right on, that, you know, how do you handle anger? I remember one man telling me, he was always raised that you, you and this Christian man, I said, I, that you're supposed to let everybody know when you're angry because if you keep it bottled up, you know, you'll have the volcanic experience you know, explosion eventually. And what I have learned is that there's a lot of wounded people that are left behind when, when you're, well, I'm just being honest. Well, you got all these wounded people and dead people behind you that are just devastated by what you just finished saying or doing, you know. So let me give you a different approach to how to handle your anger by bringing it to God. First of all, do not express your anger. Because as I already said, it leads to division, it leads to pain, wounded people. And you also, you don't repress your anger because repression means you keep it just within, you just don't let it out, because that leads to inner tension that will eventually explode. The best thing you can do with your anger is to confess your anger. Confess it to God. He can handle your anger. Well, if I tell God how angry, he'll be shocked and he'll be so angry at me for being angry. But you know what? God can handle your angry emotions. In fact, this is what he wants you to do, is to bring your anger to him before you vent to your spouse, before you vent to your kids, vent to God. Listen, when you're reading through the book of Psalms, that's what a bunch of the Psalms are, are all about. It's David venting his anger to God, and he's allowing God to heal his soul before he goes out and does something stupid says something, does something stupid. He's allowing God to heal the inside of him 
that's causing his response. Because keep in mind, all of this is still rooted back in, no matter how spiritual you are, to that, to that human, carnal part of you that's still there. That's the part that wants to explode in anger. And so David takes it to God, and you read some of the things he says in the Psalms. He's, God, just get them. Tear their arms off, God. Rip their eyeballs out, you know, God. And you're saying, is this in the Bible, really? You know? And, and what you have to understand is that God didn't rip the arms off and the eyeballs out of those people. He allowed David to vent his anger so that David could be healed by the Spirit of the Lord before he went out and acted foolishly. Okay, number three, change your focus. Philippians 2, 3 through 5 says, don't be selfish. Don't, don't just think about your own affairs, but be interested in others too. And in what they are doing, your attitude should be the kind that was shown us by Jesus Christ. So, and it's interesting, the word interested here is a Greek word, skopos, S-C, you, you get the word scope out of that. We, so we get from that English words like microscope, telescope, and so forth. So God is saying here, change your scope, change your focus, change your interests off of yourself and onto others. That will help you to bring control to, to your emotions. Number four, here's where I messed up. So number four should be establish ground rules, and there'll be a different scripture that goes with this. Um, all, all sports teams have rules, and, and we've got to have them in our families too. You, you can't have the anything goes approach. <laughs> that will not work. It'll be disaster. Ephesians 4.31 says, stop being mean, bad-tempered, angry, quarreling. Uh, stop harsh words and your dislike of others. It should have no place in your lives, those kind of things. So you say, well, it's in my life. That's why you take it to God and let God heal and change you. You get in the Word. The Word of God rewrites the way you think. It rewrites the way you feel. It takes time, but that it's cleansing the old garbage out of there, the old you, and you take it to God and his spirit starts helping you to get over all of these things. Some, too many of us are like Lucy in the penis cartoon. If I can't be right, I'm going to be wrong at the top of my lungs, she said. <laughs> but there's an old proverb, proverb that says, when we throw mud, we lose ground. Think about it. Then number five, the new one, go and make peace. Matthew 5, 23 and 24. So when you offer your gift to God at the altar and you remember that your brother or your sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. Go and make peace with that person and then come and offer your gift. You know, years and years ago, it dawned on me that Carrie is more than my wife. She is my sister in the Lord. Some of us treat the body of Christ, our brothers and sisters, better than we treat our families. And we think, well, she's my wife, I can treat her that way. He's my husband, I can treat him that way. But she is my sister in the Lord, and whatever God says to me about how I'm supposed to treat you, that's the least of how I should treat her or how she should treat me. And so when he says here, if you've got aught 
You know, Peter says in, what was it, 1 Peter 3, he says, men, if you're, if you're, at, if you're going like this with your wife all the time and, and you're not making things right and you think you can be spiritual before God, God won't even hear your prayers. You've got to get this taken care of before God will allow this to be taken care of. So how about your family? Is it at peace or are you in full conflict mode? So Carrie and I have been married over 43 years, and uh, that's a long time. I had hair. Neither one of us were grandparents. I know it's hard to believe we were actually young. I was 20 years old. She was 19. And uh, I know that seems way too young. And, uh, but it worked. And God has kept us together. And, and I will tell you that there have been some hard times in our marriage. There have been some points of conflict within our marriage. I mean, um, there have been times when, I don't know how else to put it, but Carrie just was wrong, and God <laughs> wanted me to bring correction to the situation. And sometimes she received it, sometimes she didn't, you know. So cause conflict, you know what I mean? I hate to say that, but that's, but really, um, and pray for me, folks, really, uh, <laughs> can I come to your house for lunch today? <laughs> Anybody out there? But really, the, the deal is marriage will require that you learn how to handle your differences because we are different. There's no, there's no two men the same, let alone a man and a woman. You know, there's no two women the same, let alone a woman and a man. We, but when we combine our differences, we become better people. When, we've, when we unite together, she makes me a better man than I would have been, and I make her a better woman, I think, I hope, than she would have been. So how about you? Is Jesus really the Lord of your family? For that matter, is he really the Lord of your life? Is he your savior? He needs to be. You can take care of that this morning and start on the right road. Even if there's a lot of conflict and maybe arguing and stuff going on in your marriage right now and you say, gee whiz, I just don't know if it can ever get any better. It can. I like something that Earl Roberts used to say in his program. Many of you don't even know who that is. But Earl Roberts was... Uh, marvelously healed of tuberculosis, wouldn't it, TB or something like that? Years, I mean, back in the 40s or something. And he started a preaching ministry in the 50s. He would have these tent revivals of healing that God just used him incredibly in healing ministry back in the 50s and early 60s, primarily. And I just remember he, he developed a, a television program eventually, and I remember him saying in one of his programs, Today is the first day of the rest of your life. Now, I don't know if that was original with him or not. I never heard it before. So as far as I'm concerned, he's the first guy to ever say that. But today is the first day of the rest of your life. And it doesn't really matter what it's been. It matters what it can be starting today. And, and if you're not married, this sermon has just as much application to you in other human relationships, whether it's at, at Maybe you're a child at home still, or maybe it's at work, or however, that, however it is. It still has application to your life.
And you can, you can be, bring change into your situation by you committing that situation to the Lord. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.